and welcome to the Wavemakers podcast. Back this month with an episode looking at technology that is working to restore our oceans and look after them while allowing that vast blue resource to be a benefit to us. If you've tuned in to the episode so far, or perhaps listened to other podcasts here on the American Shoreline Podcast Network, you may have heard mention of the blue economy. In fact, Admiral Tim Gallaudet hosts a podcast called the American Blue Economy Podcast, which I highly recommend as he speaks to top policy and science experts about the critical role the ocean economy plays in the U.S. and global economies, as well as the importance of leadership to help it thrive. What I can tell you is that I really like the way the ocean is right now being understood as a seriously major economic frontier, not just offshore oil and gas, but other energy and deep sea mining, shipping, transport, aquaculture, fishing. The potential for all of these industries to provide resource solutions and medicine, clean energy, food and jobs is enormous. But there are also huge risks if we don't utilize it. And I hate to use the word exploit because it has this negative connotation, but the truth is we need to and can do so thoughtfully understanding the value of what we've got here. A value that is not just monetary, by the way. The ocean, it helps us breathe, it regulates climate, it provides billions of people with food and nutrients, and the biodiversity of the ocean, oh, it's it's not just beautiful and awe-inspiring, but helps our planet function and helps us understand how the Earth evolved. Let's pretend I said that with an Attenborough accent. Today, my guest is helping innovate one of those very important industries of the ocean economy the fishing industry. Yet another rocket scientist splashing down into the ocean. Courtney Opshog is CEO of Blue Ocean Gear. This company is changing the commercial fishing industry with intelligent, connected, smart buoys to provide real, real-time tracking of commercial fishing gear. I'm so excited to talk to Courtney about why tracking fishing gear is even a thing. So Courtney, welcome to the show. How you doing? Thank you. Thank you, tomorrow. It's nice to be here. Wonderful. I'm so excited to have you. I I think it's a topic that nobody, you know, nobody talks about. Everybody likes to eat, eat fish, but we don't really think that much about it, especially if you're landlocked, I, I will say. As always, I'd love to start with uh, you telling us a little about yourself and where you come from, how you got here. Sure. Um, so my background actually is in both aerospace and underwater robotics. I did my PhD uh, in a joint program between Stanford and the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute. Um, and from there, I just kind of went between space and underwater throughout my career. Um, and actually, before I founded Blue Ocean Gear, I, was, I, was, um, I had a position as a contractor with NASA, but I was also engaged with the National Marine Sanctuary in, in Monterey Bay. And that's where I started listening to some of the issues that commercial fishermen were facing, as well as conservationists, and realizing that technology could really be that bridge uh, between the two and, and just, you know, make, make improvements and help solve some of these issues that were out there and, um, and do it in a way that could help both. I love it. You're, uh, you're already into the inspiration and the motivation side. Oh, sorry. No, not at all. It's great. That's exactly how you got here. You were inspired to to see where you could make the difference. So I think I really want to start where you started Blue uh, Blue Ocean Gear. You told me a really great story about a, a dinner you had and and how you kind of 
came up with an idea and took a different route in the end. True. We were we were at at, um, at a at dinner at a, a sustainable seafood restaurant uh, in the Monterey area, and um, it, they they didn't have um, spot prawns on the menu that day because they said that the 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 staff had said that their um, the spot prawn fishermen had gone far offshore to check their traps and they were all empty. So so no no spot prawns on the menu that day, but the you know, and all, all I could think of was like, what a waste of, of fuel and a waste of time to go all the way out and all your traps are empty. Wouldn't it be cool if you knew what was there before you actually even left the dock? And so I spent the rest of dinner talking about that. And then um, it kind of just stuck in my brain. And so I, I started trying, you know, learning more and more about the fishing industry and how and where fishermen operate, what, you know, what their, um, what their day-to-day operations are like. Um, and, and started, um, playing around with different ideas, uh, applying for, for patents and came up with this smart trap idea that tracked how much was in a trap and transmitted that to a buoy, uh, back to, back to the fishermen on shore. Um, and we did try that for, for a bit and, and, um, got a couple of grants and made some prototypes, but what was clear was that that was a very complicated system and it was very expensive and it was very cumbersome to work with. But what everyone kept asking about was the buoys. And we started getting asked, well, could you use those buoys to find lost gear? Well, yeah, actually we could. So that was when we really pivoted and started focusing on the smart buoy concept of being able to track gear with a buoy that could actually talk to the fishermen while they were on shore or if they were out on the water. Oh my goodness, so much to unpack here. So (laughs) you, let's see here. You started with an idea, true entrepreneur, because you were just sitting there, you heard there was a problem and you were determined to find a way to solve it. Um, Sounds like a reasonable idea to me. Why should you have to go all the way out? We have all this crazy technology. You could could know what's in your trap before you go. Um, Then I want to ask you just for a moment, so one of the first things you did was firstly your research with the fishermen and, and how the industry worked. Um, cause it wasn't one that you were familiar with before, right? Very true. So I spent a lot of time out on fishing vessels. I was very fortunate to meet some just amazing individuals who invited me to come along and cause you're, you're never, you're never going to learn as much reading books or, you know, making prototypes in the lab as you are out on the water and in the field with these folks. And it's it just, it, um, they really just opened up their world to me and it, it, you know, it really drove home how, um, how they work and how, how fast everything happens out on the water and, and all of the different, um, the different aspects that need to come into play if you're designing any sort of, technology or gear to work with this industry because there's it it's hard enough to design for the oceans but designing for the fishing industry they're they're way tougher on gear than anybody else i mean it's getting slammed against the side of the boat or bounced off the deck or it's going through hurricanes and storms and all sorts of other ice and other conditions and so um it it was it, it was that was that was a whole new education for me and so that was really great that's fantastic. I, I can say in my experience, when I first got out of college, I got this job with a company that was doing offshore surveys and 
they tried to explain things to me in the office and I had tons, you know, I had pictures, I had diagrams, I was explained um, how the technology worked, but it wasn't until they sent me to a ship and I was on board and watching how everything works and hanging out with the people and seeing how sometimes you just got to come up with a new way to get around a problem because you're in the middle of the ocean and, and things happen. So I, the only way sometimes to learn is to be right there in it. And I think that was a natural and clever way for you to start. I mean, fisher, fishermen are, are natural. I mean, they're, they're scientists, they're engineers, they're, they're entrepreneurs and business owners. They're all about that wrapped together because they're out on the water so much. They know how to make stuff work. They know what's going to work and what isn't going to work with their go to the native people of the of the industry sort of thing and i i was very happy when those shows about alaskan fishing came out because people kind of started to get and i know it's dramatized perhaps but it gave an idea it gave people like an interest so i think they they served a good purpose yeah it's not it's not an experience that most people will have uh, right is being out on those kinds of waters i think people think of fishing um, and they think about, you know, being at the end of a dock with a line, a pole and line. And it, you know, commercial fishing is so much more than that. It, there, there's, and there's such a wide variety. Um, so it's, it's really been just a fascinating, it's a fascinating industry to learn about. Uh, and I bet there's some people who don't want to get on those ships, which it's, it's also okay. There's so many roles you can play, especially if you have fancy technology to help you. So um, your next step after getting to know these these guys in this industry and and ladies um you you said you went and filed some patents or a patent on the smart trap so that's also something interesting to me because speaking to some friends i don't think everyone knows that that's a good place to start if you've got an idea it's kind of a challenge to bust into a new technology yeah it it was certainly an endeavor that um I had never, I had not intended to, <laughs> to, to take on, but pat, yeah, patent law and, and patent applications is a whole other um, world that um, it takes a lot of time uh, and funding to, <laughs> to support, but it's, you know, I think it, it is valuable and I think it does, it actually does help to write, you know, to have it all documented what, what really you're, what you're thinking about and what, um, what concepts you're actually coming up with. And how they might work. But you knew you had a mission, so that's the steps you had to to go through. And I love that what happened was on the journey there were people asking about a certain component of of the system and you realized you gotta pivot and focus on that. So here we are with will you explain a little bit more about what Blue Ocean Gears technology does? Absolutely. And and I think part of the reason that that pivot also made sense was um, once we really started looking into the issue of lost gear, it became so much more clear how, how big this problem was and how, um, how little uh, was being done to prevent it from the, from the source. Um, it, 640,000 metric tons are estimated to be lost in our oceans every year around the world. And that it's too much. It's too much for our oceans to sustain. All of that gear that's lost, it's, it's not just contributing plastic to the ocean, which is a huge part of 
the plastic in the ocean. In fact, it's one of the, the main um, sources. Um, but also that gear keeps fishing. So everything that's captured dies and becomes bait for more fish to enter, become captured. And it's this cycle known as ghost fishing. And this can just deplete fishery stocks. It has very, very detrimental impacts on, on marine ecosystems. Um, but beyond that, it had this financial impact to the fishermen. And that was also what we were trying to understand as we were working with them. And the fact that, you know, their gear can cost anywhere from hundreds of dollars to tens of thousands of dollars for each buoy that's that's protecting or marking that gear. And so when they lose a string of traps, say, or a net, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of their um resource financial resources that go to replacing that gear. And in addition, now there's this unlimited competition from ghost fishing that reduces their harvest potential. I I knew we were going to get into like how much of it is floating around the ocean. I didn't understand about the ghost fishing. I, I've worked again. I was on a ship. I was on the back deck in the sun pulling up our gear because it was tangled with fishing nets that had been, I guess, ghost gear. And it was messing up our research. So we had to pull it in and take those off. And I did wonder if they're very definitely made of, of some sort of plastic and, you were you said six over six hundred thousand metric tons. So let's see here. A metric ton is a thousand kilos kilograms, which is about twenty two hundred pounds. Uh, that's this a walrus, an adult male walrus, I think, weighs about that much. <laughs> um, so that yeah, that makes sense that it's costing them a fortune and they're losing money. But it's also consuming fishery stocks. Yeah, and that, and not just fish, right? Like it's it's marine mammals can get entangled, seabirds get entangled. Like there's all it, the the impacts are far and wide. But it's you know, but even beyond just marine life, there's vessels that get tangled in in ghost gear too because the propeller it can wind up into the propeller, um, all sorts of of uh, things that nobody really wants to happen. And so that was I think that was the thing that we realized was that this was that one of those problems that like nobody was benefiting from there wasn't there was no contention over whether this was a a good thing or a bad thing um and so there were but um you know what we um but what we realized was that there was you know that the gear really wasn't being tracked to the extent that it could prevent this kind of loss and that was what really struck us was you know here's a preventable problem and so why aren't we tracking our gear? And so starting looking into that was how we ended up designing our smart buoy system. And so coming up with a way to track gear. And so this is just a little seven inch diameter buoy that attaches on to any fisher's gear. Um, and it lets it's, it has um, GPS to track the gear. And then that, that information gets sent back uh, to our cloud database, either via radio or satellite. And, um, and now the fishermen have ways, you know, whether it's on our mobile app or a web interface or their Jeep, their chart plotter on the boat, they can see where, where their gear is. And it's like, it's like this superpower that they're, that they're given as one of, one of our team members calls it. It's just, which I love that phrase because it's, it's, um, it gives them eyes on the water. But then what we started learning more and more as we started to get more buoys out with different kinds 
a different different fisheries and different um, uh, different fishers was they wanted they wanted more information because once you know what they're like well I don't necessarily lose my gear I just I have a hard time finding it I want to get there faster <laughs> okay so they're trying to get it back and they they can't find it they don't yeah it'll it's just it's taking hours out on the water to really find their gear it might move a mile a day because of of the way the tides go or the way um, uh, some of the currents are so strong, um, or it's foggy and they just, it's, it just becomes harder to find. So we were helping them save time and fuel, but then some, you know, they were also saying, well, what, what about entanglements? What about gear theft? What about some of these other issues that are happening? Um, and so we started putting other sensors on the buoys. And so now you don't just get where they are, but you get a better idea of what's going on out in the water. And that lets them have, you know, it changes their response, right? Like if they know that, oh, my, you know, maybe this, this buoy hasn't transmitted in, in a bit because, and it's, it looks like it's been going under periodically with the tides. I'm not going to go to that gear until it tells me it's on the surface. I'm going to go over here. Oh, but this one's been lifted from the water and I got a message. Maybe that means that somebody's poaching my gear. So this, this is just the kind of, um, you know, information that then we can start to get a lot more idea of what's happening out on the water when you're not there, when you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars of assets out on the water and you have to leave it there, knowing what's going on makes such a huge difference. Oh, I love it. Data, 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 data. So we've been talking in past episodes about how there's thousands of robots in the ocean right now collecting data. So firstly, they're going to get (laughs) they could possibly get entangled in nets that could be trouble and secondly it's so important to have this kind of data it's so much knowledge that you can get from it so these fishermen are kind of helping you um, evolve your gear and your product by by telling you what they need and finding new ways to use it yes and then in in return the data helps them so it's there were just we're using fishing gear to collect data, which to me that just makes sense because it's already out there, it's right? Like sure. we're you know yeah we absolutely always have there's always fishing gear out on the water. Granted, it's during different seasons or different regions, but um, being able to combine all that information and use it for the folks that are that benefit from it. Um, and then beyond that, there's others, there's other researchers or, um, climatologists that could use this, this data as well, because we just don't know as enough about, about our oceans. And so I I think now that we're seeing a lot more resources in the form of robots, drones, buoys, there is a whole system forming of ways to get ocean data, which we desperately need. Because as you mentioned in your opening, the, the oceans are such a huge part of the health of the earth. And so understanding what's going on with our oceans really helps us understand how we as humans need to react. Right. And so the fishermen are the same. They're just the their scale of things of how to react and how to plan and how to improve their their work and save money Um I think it's it's brilliant. I, are there any projects that you're working on right now that you'd want to highlight or give us an example? Sure. I mean, we right now we have 
customers and buoys deployed everywhere from the Arctic down to the Caribbean as well as the South Pacific. So it's it's a really wide variety of, of conditions as well as um, types of gear that the, the buoys are deployed on. Um, one that's really exciting is um, it's a project that's actually funded by the um, Canadian Department of Fisheries and Oceans. Um, it's called their, their Ghost Gear Fund. Uh, Canada is very, um, very proactive in trying to help resolve the issue of ghost gear. They're very cognizant aware and aware of, of this issue. And so um, has have funded things like cleanups and, and gear recovery, as well as prevention techniques. And so um, we are starting to have gear deployed in, um, in British Columbia um, in, the, uh, in the current seasons and so with a, with a few different fishermen there. And that's been really exciting to see. Um, and we've also had gear deployed over in, uh, in, in a, with a similar program in, um, in Nova Scotia as well. And so that's, it, you know, it's, it's let us work with some just amazing partners and fishers that, um, that, you know, are, and again, they're, we're, lear we're learning as they're learning in terms of, well, how do they want to use the gear and what are they, what knowledge are they gaining from the data? And so it's been really fascinating. I, it's super fascinating do are you working with very like large scale fisheries or do you also sort of local fishermen or who's really your your prime customer <laughs> you know it's it is a it is a wide range um i for for customers they tend to be some of the the larger vessels um and but there are also uh, some grant funded projects to work with some of the smaller artisanal fisheries, because that's the thing is ghost gear is a problem everywhere. It is not, you know, only in one specific sector or one gear type. It just, it just happens. And it's not through the fault of the fishermen for the most part. It's all, you know, it's, it's, it's nature just being nature. It's a very, ocean is a very volatile place. And so when there are strong forces that come through Gear can break free, um, or gear can get entangled. There's all there's you know many many ways that gear can go can go missing. Um, I'm blanking on which hurricane it was. I think it was Hurricane Rita that came through, and there was like over a hundred thousand um, spiny lobster traps went you know got were lost in the, off the Florida Keys. And so just there there's all there's a lot of potential out there for for gear to become derelict or, or, or ghost gear. And so, um, yeah, so that's, it, it's, so it's been, it, it's, we have, so we have a wide range of, of, uh, of customers, both aquaculture as well as wild caught fisheries. Yeah. We, I mean, we looked to the ocean for this food source for a reason. So we humans kind of, we tend to make a mess and we don't mean to, we're just trying to survive. And, um, as we, know more and understand more it's easier to sort of correct course and and improve the way we're doing things so um, I'm not sure that I've heard of too many like technology innovations in this way in the fishing industry there's a lot on ships and and stuff you were telling me but is there you know other cool stuff that you're interested in in looking at or you there, yes, it's been it's it's been really interesting to see the progression over the last several years. Um, and yes, uh, uh, you know, 
fishing vessels are pretty high tech right now, but the gear generally hasn't changed in, in, in many generations, but there are several other um, fishing tech companies, both hardware and software that are, that are bubbling up and it, and just making some amazing uh, progress. There's um, safety net technologies in the UK. They, they have a few different um, precision fishing uh, uh, platforms that are, that they, that they produce, um, including lights that connect, can help reduce bycatch, which is some really neat science. Um, we've worked uh, with an organization called Smelts. They, they have created a lift bag for fishing so that um, it can help uh, prevent whale entanglements um, through um, having the gear be lifted to the surface through an inflatable mechanism. Um, there's quite a few folks working on traceability, which is another whole other issue in, in, in seafood. Uh, and, and something that down the line, smart buoys could actually let you know where exactly was that fish or crab caught and then all the way through to where that vessel was and, and through to, down to your, to the, through the processor and to your supermarket or restaurant. And so that's the kind of level that we're thinking about now. I think it's so interesting. And you were kind of like an early um, adopter, or no, more of an early entrepreneur on this kind of industry technology advancement. So I'm wondering, did people kind of get behind you? Was it easy to find funding? What, how did you make this, this company work? <laughs> yeah, that's evolved over time as well. It's a great question. Um, I think there are um, starting to be a lot of opportunities out there for ocean tech companies. Um, when the when the company first started, it, we it was mostly uh, bootstrapped, self funded, as well as some smaller grants that we are very grateful for from um, from uh, uh, National Fish and Wildlife Foundation, as well as um, an organization called Sea Pact. And then as we um, as we grew a little bit from there, we were able to take advantage of some of the ocean tech accelerator companies that were just amazing um, and so and provided us both financial support but as well as just that community of you know folks who are doing something really hard it's i think there's you know working in the oceans as i mentioned is is a, it comes with many challenges that you don't have when you're developing technology on land there's a lot of things that people don't have to think about like saltwater corrosion and and pressure at depth um, or even you know be, the ability to withstand some of the some of the uh, off um, offshore storms um, and handling on boats and so that's but that and then you know but that is something that a lot of these other companies have have faced as well as some of the mentors that we had access to um, and then going from there we were able to raise um, some venture capital funding uh, f from um, from funds last year and so that was you know and we're incredibly grateful that that ocean investing is now seen as something that is a viable approach to starting a business and to having a business grow, flourish, and 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 bring in revenue. And so I, I think um, we'll hopefully only see it grow from there. We're seeing a lot more attention from the in the investment world on climate climate tech companies and and ocean tech companies. And so I think it's been really encouraging to see that, and I I, I hope that it continues to grow. Absolutely. That's quite right. I mean, you talked about the immense um, 
financial loss that comes from this issue that you're tackling. So there's definitely reason to invest in this kind of thing. And I'm seeing, it seems to be a common theme um, across my guests that it's hard to get that funding in the beginning. So there's not a full understanding of, of the economics behind things in the ocean. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, it, um, you know, it, it, there is an environmental benefit to a lot of the um, ocean tech companies, Blue Ocean Gear included, um, but that doesn't, it's not mutually exclusive from a profitable business. And so that's, and again, when, when we've found this type of issue to, that we're working on that does have um, both financial and environmental impacts, I think that's where, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of promise there. And, and when we add on the ocean data piece on top of that, um, it, there's, there is a lot of room for growth in this, in this area. Well, I'm going to take a tiny step back there because you, you were, I think we skipped over a little bit about the buoys. So you have these buoys that are, that are GPS locatable and um, do they also have, I, I mean, that's an, a big advantage to technology that's trying to get under the ocean where GPS won't work. And it doesn't. Yeah. So the buoys only, only do work. Uh, they only transmit, um, they only get GPS information and transmit data when they're on the surface. When they do go underwater, they're still taking other sensor data, but they can't transmit it there. There's no acoustic capability on these buoys. Oh, but they're still hard at work. <laughs> They are. They are waking up every now and then and taking um, and, and taking sample sample points um, to be able to transmit that as soon as they they resurface. Sounds to me like that's just expanding their value even further. Yeah, there's a like I said, there's a lot of fisheries where gear does go underwater. Most people think of buoys as something that floats very gently on the surface, and it's all you know that that's all they do. But there's a large number of fisheries where the gear often gets pulled under, even for days at a time, to depths up to you know thousands of feet. And so um, we've really, again, that was part of when we were working with the fishermen and designing this. And you know, when they were saying things like it can't have an on-off switch, it can't have anything sticking out, and it has to be able to go to depth because my gear gets sucked under by the tide. That was something that you know we took very seriously. Wow! So it's not that that is good to understand because I was imagining it floating. I did not think. I know things get lost, and um, you know tides and down a thousand feet in the ocean. There's a lot happening, pushing things along. There's mud. Things get stuck in the mud and covered up. So I would. I did not imagine the buoy being sucked underwater as well. Pretty incredible and. And some of that is, again, you know, just natural oceanographic forces. Um, sometimes it can be an indicator of another event going on, like a whale entanglement or, um, or something else that has been started dragging gear under. So, um, you know, knowing what is typical for a certain fishery, a certain um, deployment area, it, and then those anomalies are what are, indi- you know, that what, that those are what become indicators of something something that needs attention, something that would demand a different response depending on what it is. Everything's fine until it's not fine. <laughs> exactly. Any help you can have. Um, I like the idea of when a fisherman's going back out to get their stuff and they can't find it, they have this resource to help them 
quickly collect it. Exactly. That's just, that's time, every, you know, time out on the water. Remember, this is one, you know, the name of that show that you're talking about, you know, the deadliest catch. It, this is one of the most dangerous professions. And so time out on the water is, um, is, is, is very serious. And so, um, any time that we can make them make help fishermen be more efficient, um, reduce their time and their fuel, they can get back into dock sooner. They can, you know, they're, they're more, their time out on the water is, is more productive. And so that's something that, um, you know, we, that is taken into account. It's some, it's a way that the fishermen do, you know, have said that they want to use the gear. Um, in addition, you know, looking at how, sea surface temperatures affect things. You know, a lot of fishermen operate right near that ice shelf and up in the Arctic, um, getting more information about that, because again, becomes a safety issue. And so if there's any way that these buoys can play a role in that, then we're, we're happy to help, help work on that. So how does the buoy send, like, where does it send the information? Does a ship's captain have a little screen on their, on their boat and they're using that? Or what's the system like? beyond the buoy? Yeah, right now, um, most of the buoys are sending their data back to shore via satellite. And so it goes to our cloud. And then um, they have the ability to access the data either via our mobile app on their phone, or they can use if somebody's on land monitoring gear while they're while they're, you know, back. Um, well, they're in between trips, they can monitor their gear from their computer. Um, but we also have, we also have text updates that tell give them alerts like hey something's gone wrong and just because you didn't you know you weren't necessarily monitoring the app now you know. Um, but then our our um, they they can get it on their shipboard systems as well. That's uh, one of our newest features. Um, and then what we're you know we're we're working on other developments on how to communicate that data as well. I'm so blown away. There's an app for that. Like the fishermen are headed out to get their gear and they're they're there with their phones and checking on things. That's fantastic. What an innovative idea. Yeah, well, we do it all the time on land, right? You can check on where anything is right now that you own if you had the right tag on it. And so we just want to make sure that that's, we can be, you know, offer that in the ocean too. It's not the same as when you, if you put something down, you know, on a table, in uh, you know in a room and you leave and you come back it's probably still there <laughs> but when you put when you leave gear out on the ocean and go back uh, in between harvesting trips it it's moved there's definitely and sometimes it's not very much and so it's not an issue but other times it's moving a great deal or sometimes something happened and you just want to be able to know well i guess then maybe i'll ask you just to kind of sum up what the mission and blue ocean gear is all about before we start to wrap up. I got one more question for you too. Absolutely. No, I, you know, blue ocean gear, you know, we exist because there is this issue out on the ocean of lost fishing gear, but beyond that, we, there's also this ability now with technology that's available to be able to help fishermen fish smarter with more information. And so using these smart buoys, we can actually get that set of information to the fishermen, no matter where they are, whether they're on shore, whether they're on their boat. And it just, it creates, it gives them eyes on the water. It gives them insight into what's going on with their gear when it's been left, when it's been left unattended. And so I think, you know, being able to provide that type of 
of service for fishermen, as well as on top of that now add to this, the, the you know, ocean condition data and really improve our knowledge of what's happening in this vast and amazing resource. Um, that's, I think, where we see this going in the future. Do you feel like this project that started off something to build smart traps has really led you to a lot of places that you wouldn't have expected? Is there some, some aspect of this that you're just like very happy that you're involved in? Gosh, that's a great question. I mean, every day we end up in, in working with um, new fisheries or new ways that um, fishers want to use this technology that we never thought of. And I think that's, that's been the most fascinating part to be honest, I think, um, but really my, my favorite, my personal favorite thing is just to, to, to be out on the boats working with the fisher, with the fishers. I, I think that, um, they just, you know, the, the ones that we've been fortunate enough to work with, they know so much and they've, um, really, you know, they're leading lives that are, is, you know, they're so different than what, um, than, than what anybody else on earth does. <laughs> but, um, you know, they're really stewards of the ocean. And I think that um, the knowledge that they share and, um, you know, if we can help help add to that, it's it's just been a really, those relationships are the ones that I think mean the most. You're a fantastic entrepreneurial story, a wave maker, because you're both inspiring and inspired. And um, I can tell the energy at your company is growing all the time and very palpable so i think that also comes from our team i think that every every team member has ties to the ocean and really um really believes in our mission and what we're what we're working on and i think that um you know besides just the cha- the challenge of working on a really cool problem there's also the what keeps you going at the you know at the end of the day is is what we're what we're working towards and what what we stand for and i think that's um, it's just a really, I, I'm so fortunate to be able to work with this amazing group of people. And so that's, that's made it e- even better. <laughs> so. Is there anything you would say like to people who aren't so deep in this world, like why this is important just to point out? Cause that's a big part of what I'd like to accomplish with my podcast is helping people understand things that they didn't know was going on and why it matters. I think that um, some of these issues, you know, the, the ghost gear in particular, people might feel somewhat removed from. Um, but when you step back and look at all of the issues the ocean is facing, facing and people are trying to do more to reduce consumer plastic use and reduce plastic in the ocean in that respect. Um, this is this is yet another way that we can help with that issue. But I think also um, recognizing some of the efforts that fishermen are making to provide sustainable seafood to consumers. I think that's just so important to realize that, um, you know, th- that the, these fleets and the, the the men and women who are working in this field, their livelihood depends on this, but they also want to provide, um, you know, sustainable products to, to consumers. And I think that that's, this is something that can hopefully help that, help enable that as well. I think, yeah, a little bit of appreciation goes a long way. And uh, you're right, it is a big, a, an impactful way of tackling that plastic issue 
that I think we don't think about, you know, like I'm probably annoyingly conscious of, of plastic and, and I'm one of those, but I feel like we should really be getting the, the big things and hitting the really impactful things, putting our focus into that and making a real difference. So I appreciate that you're doing that. Well, but it is, it's an overwhelming problem. And I think that's what happens a lot of times is people just get so overwhelmed with some of these environmental issues and particularly ocean issues that, that are being faced today. And, um, and so that's where, you know, companies, and, and again, we're seeing more and more ocean companies come up that are addressing some of these problems. And that gives me so much hope. <laughs> and, and I, and, and I, I am so happy that there are other companies like Blue Ocean Gear that are making a difference. And it might start out small, but that there is a lot of potential to make a big difference. And I think it's important for everybody to realize that even if you feel removed, or you feel like you can't make a big difference there, there are other, there are ways that, that do matter. And I think, um, you know, we've, we've found one and, and but it's not the only one. There certainly are many amazing ways that people are out there working on various issues like this. So my final question that I'm going to start asking all of my guests is you've been working in this industry and, and what do you see for the next, in, in 10 years, what will it be like in the, in the fishing world of tech? Totally different. Yeah, I think, yeah, fishing is, is already changing. And, um, you know, again, as, te- as technology just becomes more affordable, more available, um, not just in certain areas, but around the globe, we, I, I think we're going to see fishing change drastically. I think we're going to, you know, we'll see more tech come into both the bigger fisheries as well as there's, there, there is even some, some tech that works in, in some of the smaller and artisanal fisheries, in aquaculture, in, um, in, in a lot of different ways. And, and, and having, um, having ocean data be part of that, having, you know, all of these types of, of, um, of sensors that work both on the vessel as well as on the gear, as well as in the cloud um, that really help us, you know, help fishermen and help, uh, and, and help just in general uh, move, movements towards more sustainable fishing, but also more efficient fishing. Well, thank you, Courtney. Thanks for taking the time to be here and tell us about Blue Ocean Gear. Is there a way people can reach out to you or find you on social media? Absolutely. Yes, we are. Um, you can find us on Twitter, on LinkedIn, um, and you can always come to our website, blueoceangear.com. Super, perfect. And I will definitely be posting a picture of you on your favorite, um, your favorite environment on a ship, on a boat, and uh, a picture of the buoy as well, so people can get an idea of what we're talking about. Um, thanks very much for tuning in, everybody. As always, feel free to reach out to me at at Lady Blue Tech on Instagram with feedback. And if you're interested in sponsoring an episode or know of an innovative ocean technology you think is making some waves, please reach out. Thanks very much. 